I'm Jenna, and um, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Uh, my voice is not quite what it usually is. There's been a lot of wonderful celebrations happening, including a very sweet quince last night here at Vesper for one of our Vox Zamanites. And um, so my voice sounds, this is a sound of joy, lots of joy happening. <laughs> but uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. And um, today in the life of the church, we are moving into the second week in the season of Lent. Uh, Lent means uh, to lengthen. It's uh, 40 days, and it's when the, um, the, um, the season where daylight is slowly lengthening, and so it may feel dark, but we're moving towards more light. We're moving towards more daylight uh, and um, towards the season of Easter. And so that's why we call this season Lent. In, term, it's, in terms of changing seasons, it's a time of transition, a liminal space, we could say, between winter and summer. And so let's just notice that times of liminal space, times of transition, can feel stressful at times to navigate. We might think of Lent uh, as a liminal space where we're sort of leaving home, metaphorically, leaving one home for another, or departing from our typical daily rituals and habits and routines. And we're experimenting, perhaps, with practices that feel unfamiliar, whether that's uh, sometimes we're practicing with fasting, saying no to something that uh, we usually enjoy, or adding in a new practice in these weeks between now and Easter. And so perhaps you are abstaining from one of your familiar rituals, like sugar or coffee uh, or social media or something pleasurable that you usually enjoy just on autopilot. Um, I came across this t-shirt the other day. If you can't read it, it says Lint. It's when I learn which addictions I still have some control over. <laughs> and um, there can be a lot of benefit to fasting, to saying no to what's familiar to us. Um, we can learn a lot about ourselves and our bodies and our actual needs and desires. Uh, whether or not we end up being successful in that practice or not, it can generate something useful for us. And our text for today invites us into a conversation about what it feels like to depart from what's familiar, our home base, and um, to notice what it feels like to leave home and enter into a liminal space in between. So a question to start us off today might be this. What does leaving home feel like? Uh, and as you're thinking about maybe times that you have left home, in a moment I'm going to invite you to reflect on that and share. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that comes up for me is our daughter Gracie left home for college. And uh, she's, she moved from here to Oregon last fall. And I think she was mostly excited, but I felt this whole roller coaster of emotions around that time. So her leaving home experience was a bit of a leaving home experience for me as well. As we entered into that liminal space together, we began exploring new territory. We were talking about setting up her dorm room, and uh, I went to go drop her off in Eugene, Oregon, and we were mapping out the bus routes in her new town. And... Um, I took a lot of pictures. I wanted to remember everything about how she, who she was and how she looks in this season. And when I got home, I felt really excited to go back through those photos and share them with family and friends. And what I 
realized was that the photos I'd taken were almost entirely of Gracie from behind as she was walking away. <laughs> and I felt a lot of things about that, but it also felt appropriate. It was symbolically appropriate for that season. In order to leave home well, we have to turn our back on what's familiar to us, and that can bring up a wide range of emotions for us. So can I invite you to turn to a neighbor, take a few moments, and share about a time you remember leaving home. So maybe it was as a young adult, or maybe later in life, maybe um, a, a long trip or a major move. And just notice what, uh, what does that feel like, what emotions, and it's usually a wide range of emotions. So take a moment, turn to someone near you and share, and then we'll pull us back together in a minute. All right. <clears throat> we'll come back together and... Um, Let's hear if there were some common themes in our experience. So when you thought about a memorable leaving home experience, what did you remember that that felt like? Let's just call out a few of the emotions. What did you notice? Excitement, yes. Adventure. Adventure. That's a very seven answer, yes. What else? <laughs> empty, empty. What else? Fear, scary, yes, a lot of on that theme. Any more? I could be anyone. Whoo, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also, uh, to add to all of those emotions, um, I have felt a lot of grief too in that experience. And so we're just going to be talking about all of that today. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, let's notice <laughs> that what Lent is inviting us to do is to leave home internally and to leave what's familiar inside us and to discover what we might learn about ourselves and about God and about life and love and trust as we step into new territory. So let's wonder what helps us leave home in trust. That's the big question we're going to be engaging today. So our text opens with these words from God to a young Abraham Back when he was still being called Abram and living in his home country among his kindred, his family's house. And we read that the Lord said to Abraham, go, or Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So here's one way that Abraham is often depicted in iconography. Um, we also frequently see him with children in his bosom. I like these images. This image of Abram is symbolic of the generations of Jewish believers who descended from Judah, who was Abraham's great-grandson. I like these icons that show Abraham bearing children whose stories were eventually so carefully and thoughtfully preserved and recorded, and they became the ancient Hebrew text we're reading from today. And uh, so holding these images of Abraham in mind, when I think about young Abram that we're meeting today in our text, I like this image of him the best because he looks angry. <laughs> he's leaving home, yes. He's trusting God, yes. He's going off to a new land to become the parent of many nations, yes. But he seems slightly miffed about it. And um, that's the feeling of young Abram when we encounter him in our story today. We see God is really working with Abram 
trying to help him wrap his head around this notion of leaving home, leaving everything familiar, and trusting this will turn out to have been a really good idea. <laughs> and so in this opening line of our text, I want us to notice there are three ways that Abraham is being invited to leave home. We're told the Lord said, go from your country. So we can imagine our country being like our autopilot sense of who we are. We might think of that as our assumed identity and not so much like our cultural or racial or gender or sexual identity, but like our sense of our personality, like this is the kind of person I am. Um, things we have assumed about us. So I'm going to invite us to consider that in a moment. And go from your kindred, your your house, your your autopilot loyalties, your allegiances. And go from your father's house, which we can imagine being like the authorities that we have given power over us. Leave these familiar aspects of home and enter a land, an unfamiliar territory that I will show you. I went through a painful season of upheaval a few years ago, and it felt like I, I suddenly was had left home. I had left everything familiar. I had lost parts of my identity. Uh, people that I'd been very loyal to, relationships I'd been loyal to, loyal to were suddenly just gone. And ideas and notions that I had given a lot of authority to over me and over how I thought about myself, um, those were being disrupted. And uh, the leaving home in that season didn't feel like it was by choice. It was more like I was tossed out of my house. <laughs> and I felt lost. And I would, would look into the future a few years ago, and I just couldn't see what was ahead. I could, I'm telling you now there's wonderful things that I'm experiencing now, but back then I could not see it. And one day that was in that painful season, I was talking with Rachel Lee and I was talking about how difficult it felt to just live in this unfamiliar kind of homelessness. And she was trying to help me connect with some sort of roadmap through it. And one of the things she did was she connected me with a spiritual director named Robin Hebert, who was extremely helpful to me during that season. Robin spoke to me about the wisdom we can often encounter in those liminal spaces when we leave home, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. And so here's uh, some of what Robin said. She said, the word for threshold in Latin is lemon. It means a doorway or a portal between here and there. Liminal space is a place of transition, one where we often feel unsettled or anxious. Life is not as it was before, but we don't yet know how it's going to be. It's a place of mystery, unknown. The place where we let go of our expectations, our attachments, validations, illusions, securities, prejudices. And then she goes on to say this. Liminal space is the simple beckoning from within that invites us to a journey we haven't imagined before. It's where we stand on the threshold between what was and what will be and unburden ourselves of our fierce determination to control the outcome. Staring into the unknown, we solemnly acknowledge this in-between place. We feel, we breathe, we trust. We resist the temptation to force a premature solution we consent to what is and allow the mystery to unfold inside us. 
So friends, in what way are we practicing leaving home in this Lenten season? And in what way are we entering into a liminal space in one or more of these areas? How might we be, for instance, practicing leaving behind an old identity, an old sense of who we are, uh, maybe an idea about ourselves we've held for a long time, like I'm a quiet person, or I'm a loud person, or I'm a person who goes with the flow. I'm not a creative person, I don't dance, I'm not a funny person, I'm not a confident person, I'm not a leader. How might we be entering into a liminal space where we might discover actually opposing and equally authentic identities inside us? And how might we be practicing leaving behold old senses of loyalty to ideas or ideologies that no longer serve our wellness and our maturity? How might we be entering into a liminal space where we might begin to ask whether those ideas and groups are being equally loyal to us in return or whether the relationship is more one-sided? And how are we practicing leaving behind authorities who may have had a profound impact on us when we were younger, but whose thinking we may now be able to critique? And how might we be entering into a liminal space where we might find ourselves unwilling to give anyone else's ideas or opinion an outsized volume of power and authority over us, especially if it doesn't serve our genuine wellness and maturity. So these are the questions we could imagine Abram was asking and wrestling with. And let's look at how God is supporting Abram emotionally and psychologically with this idea that there are some things we can only learn by leaving home and entering into a liminal space. So our text goes on with God saying this, I will make of you a great nation Or we might think of this as like a creative person, someone living fully and expansively. And I will bless you. I will nurture you. I will comfort you. I will help you. I will make your name great so you will be a blessing. Like I will help you have a loving and profound creative impact on others. When I think about what it means to grow into an expansive and creative person, someone living fully and having a loving, profound impact on the world around us. I think it's helpful to acknowledge that growing and maturing often requires us to leave home internally by bravely looking at parts of us we might prefer not to look at. (laughs) This is the idea behind the importance of doing good shadow work. Looking at the opposing forces and instincts within us and finding ways to integrate those. Integrating meaning, expressing them, befriending them, recognizing the goodness in them so that those shadowy parts of us don't come out sideways or they don't control us from within. Rather, they become part of our strength and our love and our maturity and our wholeness. So as you're thinking about how you might be practicing leaving home by exploring your inner inner shadow side. I'll share with you an example of what shadow work has looked like for me. 
Anger is one of those good creative things that has lived for a long time in my shadow. For a long time, gosh, I just could not locate anger inside me. I had the idea, I have no use for anger. And so I just didn't feel it. I would talk with people about experiences I, would ha I had, and they would say, gosh, like I would feel really angry if I experienced that. And I'd be like, huh, that's strange. I don't feel that at all. <laughs> like, I wonder why. And what I felt instead of anger was this vast ocean of peace and this endless patience, 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 even with really harmful, oppressive systems. And I, that one-sidedness in me was not uh, authentic. It wasn't the truth. It, it was expressing only one side of my inner humanity. And it was keeping me from growing and maturing and having the loving impact I could be having in the world. And so good shadow work required that I explore the opposite of my gentle, peace-loving nature. <laughs> in order to discover, oh, anger and loving resistance, what um, Dan Allender calls it, the holy hell no. <laughs> that lives also inside me, and it's good. It's trustworthy. It's there to help me love more effectively. So once I learned to locate anger in my body and befriend it, I came to see anger mobilizes me to take action nonviolent loving action to address rigid systems of oppression and harm that need to be dismantled. And I practice this most days through my writing. My skill with words is one of my most effective tools for impacting change. Um, and a while back, someone gave me this advice, and I really took it to heart. They said, be as destructive in your writing as you want to be. And I liked that advice, but I found it really hard to implement. Um, in the face of rigid, oppressive systems of harm, I can often feel powerless and just paralyzed, like immobile. And um, so I was wrestling with this, and I was feeling a lot of, like, holy good anger. Uh, but I... And I really, like, I wanted to experience that bodily. Like, I, I, I craved the experience of smashing something <laughs> with love. <laughs> and, like, I mean, truly what I wanted was to, like, find a way to, like, access those words of power and honesty. But I needed help to rewire my brain around this, um, these old ways that I had thought of myself for so long. So I began looking online for how to help myself do that. I think what I typed into Google was, where in Austin can you legally go smash things? <laughs> or um, I might have Googled, like, can you pay to go to a junkyard and smash things, and how much does that cost? <laughs> um, and so then suddenly Google suggested this to me. Do you mean a smash room? <laughs> and I was like, what is a smash room? Okay. Yeah, probably yes. That's exactly what I'm looking for. So... Uh, two nights later, like I jumped on it, like two nights later, I was driving out to Kyle, Texas with my friend Karen, and we were going to find out what is a smash room and what can you learn through that experience. So um, it was full-bodied learning for me. 
I speak and write a lot about the nonviolence of God. <laughs> and also, let's notice that when Jesus encountered harmful, oppressive systems that were harming others, he lovingly, nonviolently, but passionately dismantled them through his words and his actions, through who he chose to challenge, who he chose to elevate. And we are experiencing the, the ripple effects of Jesus's loving, nonviolent anger still today, 2,000 years later. <clears throat> and I had to learn what that felt like in my body. And it was incredible. So um, I've got a bit of a video to share with you. So you can take a look. I used to love to look for a fire I'd get drunk and shoot out the light I was known to get out of hand A rough and round honky-tonk man Never Thank you. What I, <laughs> what I wish you could hear also in that video is how glorious the smashing glass sounded. It was like sound therapy. There was something about experiencing bodily, my ability to change things, to have a, an impact to lovingly smash what may be harmful or oppressive or suffocating so that something new and refreshing and life-giving could rise up in its place, I felt a sense of hope and energy and trust. And in order to connect with that sense of hope, I had to first connect with my shadow. I had to leave the home of what had felt familiar in my sense of who I am. We can sometimes feel afraid of moving toward what's in our shadow. Um, but leaving home, leaving our autopilot ways of thinking and being and exploring what's in our shadow may be very important for our healing, growth, and maturity. A Jungian analyst and Episcopal priest, Jack Sanford, suggests in a showdown, God might actually favor our shadow over our ego. With all its dangerousness, it's closer to the center of who we are and even more genuine. And when I hear um, Sanford say that, uh, I have the idea that there's something of God to be learned by leaving home internally and exploring what's unfamiliar inside us. So um, I also want to suggest that to leave home well, we need one another. <laughs> we can imagine Abram was also discovering this too because our, our text wraps up with this. We read, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Lot was Abram's nephew and we can imagine it wasn't just Lot. It was like their whole mutual household. Um, 
And I think there's wisdom here in this idea that leaving home and moving into liminal space is not work we can do on our own. So perhaps the question for us to close with today is this, who do we need to leave home with? Because not everyone will be able to leave home with us. Not everyone's ready to leave home at the same time. Even siblings and close friends we went to school with end up diverging in adulthood with some being ready to leave home way sooner and others taking a slower, more meandering path. And I, that, that's fine. That's great. There's no timeline. There's no ideal pace. There's no race to the destination. But when we're sensing it's time to leave home, particularly the home of our inner self, we need to leave home in the company and support of a few trusted people. And researchers actually tell us there's a precise number <laughs> of trustworthy people that we need in our lives in order to live bravely. And that number turns out to be five, <laughs> more or less. It turns out we function optimally as human beings when we're connected to at least five trustworthy relationships. Researchers call this the power of five. And so as you're thinking about this idea, um, I'll say that it doesn't mean the five people that you spend the most time with or are in the closest proximity with. It means who are you spending the most energy on and who are you giving the most power to in your life? So if those five are maybe not up for leaving home with us, if they are in fact pulling us back into old identities, old loyalties, old authorities that are perhaps no longer serving us, the invitation is not to abandon them or like not be close with them anymore, but the invitation is to slowly start to shift our investment of energy and investing more and more deeply in those five-ish relationships where there's more capacity for reciprocity and mutual support, those people who are willing to leave home with us to celebrate what we're excavating from our shadow sides and to walk bravely with us into that liminal space of the unfamiliar. So I'll leave us with this final image. If you've ever witnessed a friend or a loved one bravely leave the familiar home of their inner self and venture into that liminal space of growth and healing, it's breathtaking to watch. It's like watching a trapeze artist enter into that liminal space of open air. In the words of Irving and Miriam Polster, the acrobat who swings from one trapeze to the next knows just when they must let go. And they gauge their release exquisitely. And for a moment, they have nothing going for them but their own momentum. And our hearts follow their arc, and we love them for risking the unsupported moment. And Lent can be like that for us. For a moment, we have let go of home and entered into unsupported territory, that liminal, shadowy space in between. For a moment, those who remain in the familiar will see us only from behind as we're walking away. For a moment, we have nothing going for us but our own momentum 
and the courage and imagination we hold in the unseen. And we have our loved ones who are willing to bravely leave home with us. And we have our trust in God's suggestion that this leaving home will actually, actually, actually turn out to have been a really, really good idea. <laughs> One that is essential for our healing and growth and wholeness and integration into a more fully mature and loving human being. Please pray with me. God, who calls us into shadowy corners, who invites us to leave home and step into the unknown, comfort us in the knowledge that no place outside us or within us is ever unknown to you. In the name of God, who is trustworthy, Christ who goes with us, and the Spirit who gives us courage. Amen.